this is Are You a Nurse with Ashley Gafasa. We're already at episode number three, crazy, I know, and I'm actually interviewing uh, one of my New York Presbyterian colleagues, Amy Weiss. We talk a little bit about her role in healthcare, how she's continuing education, and also what the future of healthcare looks like. Enjoy. I have here with me today, Amy Weiss. You are a Business development slash outreach coordinator, correct? Is it mm-hmm. the two in one? Yeah. At yeah. NYP. And yep. you do digestive and then also one other one that now I'm forgetting because, of course, yep. now I'm on the spot. <laughs> Organ <laughs> transplant. Of course. Awesome. Yep. And we work on like a both of our jobs kind of entail sometimes doing outreach to different organizations, different groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad you can come. Thanks for joining. You're like my first work friend who's was on. Welcome yep. to the pod. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and represent NYP together. Oh, I love that. Plus, like, two badass ladies. It's nice to, like, give different sides of healthcare because I feel like our roles are not traditional, like, at right. all. And normally not what people think of when they think of women in healthcare. Yeah. Um, I do have, a, have to ask, when you started at NYP, has anybody, or even when you were at Sinai, did anybody ever ask if you were a nurse? I'm just curious. Not people that I worked with, mostly the outside, mostly the, sorry, sorry, I didn't know <laughs> if that was you or me, sorry about that. That was me, don't worry. Oh, got it. Um, so no, mostly outside people, not so much people that I worked with, um, but always a good guess. Right, I, mm-hmm. I appreciate it now because I'm almost like, oh, I guess they thought I was, you know, that intelligent to be a nurse, which is, you know, kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But yeah. So why don't you tell a little bit about like how you got into healthcare, kind of where you started, and then you can even share a little bit about your MPH now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up in Bayside, Queens, so native New Yorker. Um, I went to high school in Long Island and I uh, did my undergraduate degree at SUNY Oswego, which is in upstate New York. Um, I majored in public relations and had a minor in business administration. I always knew that I wanted to work some sort of corporate role and I wanted to work in the city, but um, I really didn't know exactly what that role looked like. Um, I knew that I was good at writing and communication. So I figured, okay, why don't I try um, public relations out? Um, So pretty much halfway through my undergraduate career and three internships later, I realized that public relations was not necessarily for me. Um, But I did have this business minor. So I was interested in kind of how businesses run or or how we can make things more efficient. Um, I did not think healthcare at all. If you had talked to me as a senior in college and said healthcare, I probably would have been like, you're crazy. Um, I don't know anything (laughs) about that. Um, So uh, anyway, I graduated and I ended up accepting a position in the city doing recruiting, but it was within financial services. So I was able to kind of play on that business background. Um, And then after about a year and a half of doing that, I just felt very stale. It just wasn't something that made me tick. I wasn't super passionate about financial services by any So I started, yeah. I kind of like that you use the word stale because that's kind of how I felt after my first job where it was like, I feel like I'm smarter than this. I feel like I can do more than this. I don't get up and I get excited about what I'm doing. 
you know? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's so important, especially as young professionals, as women to really find what makes you tick and what's your passion. And of course that takes, you know, a few years to kind of learn that and go through different experiences. But um, I just knew financial services. Yeah. (laughs) So it was a good experience and knowing that it wasn't what I wanted. So um, I was thankful for that. Uh, I ended up sort of just by a, a leap of faith applying for a job doing recruiting at Mount Sinai Health System. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I fortunately got that opportunity. And even when I interviewed, it just felt right. I thought it was super interesting. I truthfully had no idea what I was going to be recruiting for. I thought it was going to be corporate <laughs> services because they had a few different positions. And on my first day, I sat at my desk and they were like, okay, so you're going to be recruiting for oncology nurses and emergency room nurses. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea about nursing or or anything. Um, But fast forward three years later and two promotions, it was the best experience um, in my career. And I got to see all different facets of healthcare and what goes on clinically and what goes on operationally. Um, so it was an amazing experience and there were quite a large health system here in New York city um, for those that don't know. Um, and similarly, similarly after three years, I felt like, you know, I Sam. kind of mastered <laughs> this exactly. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to try something new. Um, I will say before I, move to what I'm doing currently, um, because I enjoyed healthcare so much and really what made me tick was the mission, um, in providing compassionate patient care. And I felt like I was indirectly serving that, that mission and creating access for patients. Um, so I started talking to some people at Sinai and they were like, why don't you get your MPH? Um, and then, so I simultaneously enrolled in that program. I know you also have your MPH as well, so you can totally relate to this. I totally agree in the sense of like, it's a really great door opener, but it also teaches you so much more about like being a human being and like how healthcare is in everything that you do. You eat, sleep and breathe public health. If you really think about it, everything. Absolutely. It's so relative to so many different areas. And it's great to have classes with clinical people that have the degree as well as folks on the administration side like myself. So um, yeah, I agree with you. I I think it's an excellent degree, especially if healthcare is really where you want to stay and grow. Um, So so yeah, so I'm still in that program. I will graduate June 2021. So we're almost there. <laughs> what has it been like to be like an in-person student, right? Because I feel like your graduate degree is a lot of like meeting with new people and getting that experience and then having that face-to-face networking, but also like meeting with your professors and talking to your advisors and getting the 411 on what you should do next. Like, what has it been like to be all virtual right now? Yeah, it was definitely an adjustment for sure. Um, I'm a very just social person by nature. And I find the challenges in being virtual is you can't just kind of tap someone on the shoulder or wait for a professor, you know, after class. So um, things are a bit more scheduled. And sometimes there's challenges in being able to reach either my peers or professors. Um, You know, one 
positive thing with Zoom is being a working professional. Um, you know, it is easier to right, kind of log on as opposed to, you know, commute and get on the train and attend in person. Um, but it's, it's definitely a balance and it's an adjustment for all of us. And certainly coming into the fall, you know, it might be hybrid, but at least for now, my semester is fully virtual. But I've just learned to uh, embrace it, set up a nice desk at home, yeah. light a candle. Yeah, make the best of it. uh, Yeah, of course. And I think the other thing, too, I want to bring up is, like, I'm sure right now, like, how are you balancing? How did you balance having a full-time job and going to school full-time? Because I'm sure people who are listening, I mean, knock on wood, if people listen, um, (laughs) people who listen will probably be like, how can I work full-time and also go to school? You're in in the class full-time, right? You're enrolled full-time? I I go part-time. Okay. But the program, I chose Mount Sinai. I go to Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, their uh, graduate program. And I chose that specifically because it was geared for working professionals. So people that worked nine to five, 40 hours a week. So their class schedules, you know, they don't start until four, et cetera. So um, I think the number one thing that you have to have is the drive and the passion to get it done because I'm not going to lie. I, there are days that I'm very tired, especially right. uh, you know, after work. But uh, for me, I just keep my eyes on the prize um, and, and the courses itself are interesting. So even if I'm a little bit tired, once I log on, I'm always very engaged in the topic or the lecture. And it's certainly like we were talking about before is very relevant. And it's also relevant to what I do in my day-to-day job. So I feel like I learn things that I can immediately apply. So I'm I'm fortunate to be able to work full time and kind of be able to, again, apply these theories or um, different aspects that I'm learning. Um, But also time management is so key, Um, you know, easier said than done. I feel like it's definitely like the foundational block of everything, no matter if it's school or work. It's like if you can look at your time and like adequately divide out and not spend 46 hours on Instagram, like you've already (laughs) beaten everybody else at this. Um, 100%. My other question is definitely how do you stay motivated to complete the degree? Because you said part-time, how many years is this program? So fortunately I will complete it in two and a half years. So I did have to take one extra. They go by trimesters as well. So it's a bit more digestible. Um, so it was two and a half years. Um, But again, I just think about all of the amazing things that I can do once I obtain my MPH. And similarly, even when I was thinking about getting this degree, um, I mostly heard about it through networking and a few people um, at Mount Sinai at the time had gotten the degree. And then I've also noticed since transitioning to New York Presbyterian that some people such as yourself and other individuals, even on my team, have their MPH and just people that I aspire to. So I even just looking on their LinkedIn and and just seeing their trajectory, I'm just kind of like, I want to do this, but also I I want to get to the next level of my career. So it it drives me. I will say like not to make fun of the advanced degree, but it it is kind of like a gateway drug, right? Like you get one and you're like, I need to get another. And it's like, self, do we really need, it's like hoarding dogs. (laughs) You're like, how many puppies do we need? You're like, one should be fine. Um, (laughs) I definitely feel like that though, especially like an at NYP in general, I feel like everyone has their advanced degree. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard with the alphabet soups that you see at the end of people's names. And you're like, how do I even deal with, you know, imposter syndrome? So like, how do you deal with, you know, working with people who are sometimes I feel like far advanced career-wise and degree-wise, but I also try to tell myself like I can handle anything. So like, yeah. what's your go-to kind of advice with for dealing with people at that level? 
Uh, so I definitely just try and level set with myself and just realize that the person I'm speaking with or, you know, the physician, the senior leader is a person as well. And at one point they were in the same position or a similar position that I was in. Um, you know, and I'd like to think that when you get to a senior leadership role or um, you've met all of your credentials that, that you want, if you ever kind of stop learning, which I don't think you should stop learning, but um, in a formalized fashion, um, I just think that it's important to um, pay it forward to the younger generation as well. And I'd like to think that our senior leaders are receptive to that. So I try and calm myself in that regard, but also it, there's a self-confidence piece tied to that as well. And I think even though I'm still young in my career, even though I'm a woman I and I'm working towards my degree, I know that I have learned really valuable skills in my professional work as well as already thus far in my graduate program. And it does make me feel more equipped to have those conversations and feel like I really earned a seat at the table. I definitely agree with that statement, especially with the advanced degree kind of being like training wheels, like professional training wheels, if you will, where it's yep. like, okay, now that I've mastered this skill set, I've done these projects, I know what I'm talking about because I've studied it. Like I can do this and I don't mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable. I think yeah. in the past for me, because we're pretty similar in age, I used to feel like, you know, I would sit at a table with people who were far more advanced than I was. And depending on the organization that you're with, you either get the attitude of like the attitude of gratitude where it's like, okay, you should be lucky that you're sitting here with us or the attitude of like, okay, you're here to learn and like no one here is going to judge you. And like, this is a safe space. And I, I feel like our current organization definitely makes you feel like, okay, we are in a safe space. We can make mistakes if we have to, like everything at the end of the day will be okay. And mm -hmm. people generally are kind of like open to that, you know? Yeah, absolutely agree with you. I think New York Presbyterian is an extremely collaborative organization. I, I think, you know, even that you and I, even though we're not on the same team, we collaborate yeah. often. Um, I think it's supported, you know, even my manager and other service line directors that I work with always loop me in and ask my opinion on things. So I agree. We're, we're definitely very empowered and I feel fortunate to be um, at New York Presbyterian with these types of people. Oh, same. I think it's so beautiful in a way where it's almost like, Oh, we're all like, it, I mean, it's not the Brady bunch all the time. Right. Like we're not all happy all sure. the time because things get difficult. There's challenges, but I definitely feel like at the end of the day as a whole, we feel very um, lucky and blessed and fortunate. Not everybody feels like that at work, which Absolutely. does, does sometimes, um, you know, it hurts a little bit, but <laughs> speaking of work, what are your aspirations for later on down the road? Like, what do you want to do? Yes. So, well, right now, I'm not sure if I said I uh, am an outreach and business development coordinator uh, at New York Presbyterian. And I've been here for about nine months now. Um, I definitely see myself long term at New York Presbyterian. I, I really enjoy the organization and, you know, align with its mission and values and where it's trying to go. Um, in terms of long term career aspirations, I am hoping to serve in a leadership role more in like strategic planning or strategic initiatives. I had an opportunity during our COVID time to work on some special projects that involved strategic planning or developing certain processes for surge staffing. And I found it so incredibly interesting. And I would love to 
just grow in that space and learn to set specific objectives on how to, you know, achieve our organization's goals. And similarly, speaking of getting additional degrees, <laughs> I do, once I finish my master's, I would like to get um, a Lean Six Sigma certification as well, which I think could also play nicely in a strategic planning type role. Oh, I definitely agree because strategic planning and, you know, Six Sigma, Gimbal Walks, everything that's in that wheelhouse is very much like, I don't want to say the word sexy, like in a professional development podcast, but it is very sexy because it, you can fix things, you can save money and everybody loves saving money. Um, absolutely. I definitely feel like that would be a really awesome kind of pedigree to have between MPH and, and that too. Um mm-hmm. I definitely feel like the world is your oyster, especially as COVID has kind of changed how we all function and how our industry is going to be, I think, for probably forever, hopefully, knock on wood, we learn from these mistakes that we had in the past. Um, But I definitely feel like moving forward, too, people need to be more strategic with the way that they have processes, how, like, the olden days, we used to say, like, oh, we've been doing it like this for 100 years. Like, this just is how we're going to keep doing it. It's like, it's not the 80s anymore, you know? And I definitely right. feel like that's something that I've grown frustrated with in the industry has been how slow things are to change. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. What's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely agree with you. I think that prior to COVID, I think the general consensus and even a little bit of my own opinion is that certain areas of healthcare can be a bit antiquated. Um But with COVID, I always say this, the silver lining is it really shook things up for us and does, to your point, give us an opportunity to take a look inward and see what are we doing that's working? What is not working? How do we need to adjust? Um, And I think one great example of this is the intersection of healthcare and technology. So with COVID, seeing this whole telemedicine initiative really take off. And I had, I'm interested in, in tech and healthcare as well, just Uh, as a sidebar. Um, And so I was always kind of following where that trend was going, but I think it's really skyrocketed in COVID. And I think for New York Presbyterian and other health systems alike, it's a great opportunity to see how can we be more innovative? You know, how can we maximize the patient experience, but in a digital way? Um, And again, kind of break those old processes or just the way we've been doing it. Right. What do you think is kind of like the next frontier of healthcare in general? See, I think after COVID, having telehealth, which I think, you know, for years, we've all been saying like, oh, this is it. This is the way of the future. You know, we talk about ACOs and accountable care orgs is like saving money. I think like the next frontier in healthcare is going to be text messaging people. Because with COVID, I think that would be so cool. Like you could text your provider. You have like a HIPAA secure platform. That would be fascinating as like a new frontier. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's super interesting. And I think definitely something that patients would enjoy. I know I would enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, It would be so much easier. Um, And it's great to kind of know that you have your provider, you know, on hand like that, Um, especially if there's, you know, you get sick on a weekend and you don't want to wait until Monday or or something like that. So yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I think another um, area is going to be, so like ambulatory care networks, I think that's going to expand a little bit more. And I think I even COVID, it shows that people aren't as willing to go into the hospital. People aren't comfortable and rightfully so. I think, I think it's a combination, sorry, between no, no. being uncomfortable, right? Cause you, you know, you don't want to potentially get COVID. So why would I go into the hospital to get an acquired infection? 
But also, I think a part of it is that people are really afraid financially of going into a hospital, even if it's an emergency, which is the point of an emergency is that you can't take care of it on your own and your, you know, your PCP can't take care of it. So it's like, it's an emergent situation, which breaks my heart that people felt like that even during COVID when things were quote unquote, you know, all covered, people still avoided going to the hospital. And that's, you know, that's got to be changed. Absolutely. And I think that's definitely our MPH uh, (laughs) talking here, because I certainly feel the same way and would love to change that perception. Um, I hope that, you know, telemedicine and and moving things to ambulatory care can kind of make things a little bit easier. Um, I I think it will take a few years, but I do think that we can get there. And I think that we have kind of awoken the powers that be within healthcare that can kind of help us drive this change where maybe a couple months ago, you and I could have had this conversation and it might not have gone anywhere. I I think about 2020, right. And like, you see those like happy new year, it's like new decade, like what's going to come in our industry. And I remember them saying like potentially telehealth. And I'm like, telehealth has been around for a long time, like Mm -hmm. probably five years at this point, but no one's really been utilizing it because it, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it was not beneficial before COVID for providers to get on a platform and talk to somebody and not get reimbursed. Like it just, right. And at the end of the day, you couldn't prescribe medicine. There was all these rules. They had to be in a certain state. You had to be licensed. And I think now that with COVID, a lot of that has, I mean, it has been suspended. Some of those rules, which granted, you know, you can't suspend all your regs, but now that it's been suspended, people now feel more comfortable because they finally have the opportunity to use it. Mm -hmm. And I think, I've seen some data and it has shown that I always think of like the silent generation or the elder population as not being willing to change. However, with COVID, we kind of saw firsthand like the elderly population was loving telehealth because they could finally have their physician in their pocket like they've always wanted. And it was here and it was real. Absolutely. I'm excited for hopefully that frontier to expand too. For sure. Yeah. And I think they've even just advancements in telehealth. So it's obviously not a new thing, but I think just with everyone having smartphones, even the older generation, and I think that we've made it so it's so much more simpler, you know, it's only a few clicks or we have videos on how you can download it step by step. So I think we're definitely working together to, to make it more accessible and user friendly, which is, is huge. I agree. I think, you know, kind of in closing, I wanted to see what are your thoughts and your visions for how women are going to be impacted in the future years of healthcare? Because right now we're a huge portion of the population who's working and we're not really leading. So I don't know if you have any suggestions for how to change that, but feel free to share. Yeah. So I think that starting with doing this a podcast like this and putting these resources out into the public domain is so critical. Um, as I shared before, when in my own career path, no, I had no idea that you could be, you know, anything besides clinical, really in a healthcare setting. Um, no one in my family works in a hospital. I have one aunt that's a nurse. I had very limited exposure, thankfully, um, you know, to hospitals and health systems growing up. Um, so I think really getting the word out and having these conversations about these opportunities that exist, again, are so important. I think also we are going to see a lot more people enter the healthcare space 
even post COVID, you know, we all know someone who has been affected by COVID. Um, and I'm sure there, there's plenty of people that maybe their life mission has sort of changed, um, or maybe they were in another sector and they realize that they can also use their talents here in healthcare, yeah. whether it be, you know, pro bono or making a full on career switch. Um, so I think these conversations are necessary. I think from an organization perspective and NYP does a great job of doing this, um, really letting your internal talent know the opportunities that are available even for growth, even within the, their own health system. So I know you do the emerging leaders. Um, you know, if there's a Toastmasters, if there's a Lean Greenbelt course, just something is I think the way that we can change you know, or at least adding more females to leadership roles is really giving them the power and setting them up for success with different educational resources or, again, even conversations to um, feel empowered to apply for these jobs, um, really take on their role within the, the healthcare um, setting. So I think it's twofold. I agree. I'm excited to see what the future holds in general. And mm -hmm. I think... You know, I'm very lucky to have great coworkers like you and everybody else in NYP. So I appreciate you coming on and joining me. And in the future, if you want to come back, for sure, come back. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love talking healthcare. We can go on for hours. So wow. so happy that I could join. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Are You a Nurse? A podcast about women in healthcare crazy to me that we're already at episode three, but tune in and we'll shortly have episode four. If you have any questions or you'd like to be featured or interviewed, feel free to email me at areyouanursepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great week.